The House is left for its August recess and will not return until Tuesday, September 5th. The Senate returns today with the first vote set for 5.30 p.m. The Senate will remain in session through Thursday. Last week on the House floor, the House returned on Monday and took up H.R. 3180, the Intelligence Authorization Act, under suspension of the rules. It failed by a vote of 241 to 163. Remember, under suspension of the rules, it requires a two-thirds vote to pass a bill. So even though the bill garnered a majority vote, it nevertheless failed. Then the House took up S-114, the Department of Veterans Affairs Bonus Transparency Act, a bill to amend Title 38 of the U.S. Code to require the Secretary of Veterans Affairs to submit an annual report regarding performance award and bonuses awarded to certain high-level employees of the Department of Veterans Affairs. Like the Intelligence Authorization Act before it, it got a majority, 219 to 186. But because it, too, had been brought up under suspension of the rules and required a two-thirds majority, it too failed. Then the House took up and passed H.R. 409, the Harry W. Colmary Veterans Educational Assistance Act, uh, also under suspension of the rules, and that one passed. On Tuesday, the House took up and passed H.J. Res. 111, a CRA resolution of disapproval of the rules submitted by the Bureau of Consumer Financial Protection relating to arbitration agreements. The bill disapproves a CFPB rule that prohibits class action waivers in contracts for goods and services between certified, I'm sorry, certain financial firms and consumers. The House also took up H.R. 3364, the Countering America's Adversaries Through Sanctions Act. That's the bill that rolled sanctions against Russia, Iran, and North Korea all into one bill. It was brought up under suspension of the rules, and it passed by a vote of 419 to 3, with 11 members not voting. On Wednesday, the House began debating H.R. 3219, the Make America Secure Appropriations Act of 2018, the so-called security minibus. That's an appropriations bill that rolled four appropriations bills for defense, legislative branch affairs, energy and water development, and military construction and veterans affairs all into one bill. After dealing with 16 amendments, four of which passed, the House voted to approve the bill on Thursday. The vote in favor was 235 to 192. Then the House returned to H.R. 3180, the Intelligence Authorization Act, and S-114, the Department of Veterans Affairs Bonus Transparency Act. Both bills passed with simple majorities, and then they were done. This week on the House floor, the House stands in recess until Tuesday, September 5th. No activity on the House floor this week. Last week on the Senate floor, the Senate returned last Monday and voted to confirm David Bernhardt to serve as Deputy Secretary of the Interior. On Tuesday, the Senate began consideration of H.R. 1628, the American Health Care Act, the House's Obamacare repeal reconciliation bill. On Tuesday afternoon, the Senate voted for what's called the motion to proceed. This is a procedural vote. In the Senate, to formally begin consideration of a bill on the floor, a majority of the Senate must agree that it wants to debate. So even though it's just a procedural vote, it's very important. Without passing it, the Senate cannot consider the legislation. The Democrats, who want to keep Obamacare in place, were all set to vote against it. They don't even want to debate Obamacare. That meant that the Republicans would have to muster at least 50 votes for the motion, so the vice president presiding over the Senate could cast a tie-breaking vote. There were several Republican senators who were known to be undecided on whether or not they should vote to proceed. The vote on the motion was going to be a real nail-biter. So when Senate Majority Leader McConnell brought up the motion to proceed to consideration of H.R. 1628, the House passed American Health Care Act, no one was sure what the outcome would be. Ultimately, 
the vote passed by 51 to 50, with Vice President Pence presiding over the Senate and casting the tie-breaking vote. Two Republican senators, Susan Collins of Maine and Lisa Murkowski of Alaska, voted against the motion to proceed. Like the Democrats, they didn't even want to begin debating the bill. Once the debate officially began, Majority Leader McConnell immediately laid down a first-degree amendment, numbered 267, for those keeping score at home. It was a replay of the 2015 Obamacare Repeal Reconciliation Act, essentially the same bill that passed both houses of Congress in 2015 and was then vetoed by President Obama. So that became the underlying bill. All the votes you've read about since Tuesday regarding the Senate attempts to repeal Obamacare in various ways were nothing more than votes on amendments to the 2015 repeal bill, which was itself an amendment. By the way, there were a total of 458 amendments introduced to this legislation. Once the first degree amendment was laid down, the Senate took up a second degree amendment, that is, an amendment to an amendment, number 270. That was an amendment offered by Leader McConnell that combined the text of the Better Care Reconciliation Act, that's the McConnell-drafted bill that's been the subject of discussion for the last several weeks, with a provision from Senator Rob Portman of Ohio and a provision from Senator Ted Cruz of Texas. That amendment failed by a vote of 43 to 57. On Wednesday, the Senate moved to consider another second-degree amendment, numbered 271, offered by Budget Committee Chairman Mike Enzi of Wyoming and Senator Rand Paul of Kentucky. That amendment was a replay of the 2015 Obamacare Repeal Reconciliation Bill, a clean up or down vote on straight repeal of many of the essential elements of Obamacare. That amendment, too, failed by a vote of 45 to 55. Seven Republicans crossed party lines to vote with the Democrats to kill it. The seven Republicans were Susan Collins of Maine, Lisa Murkowski of Alaska, John McCain of Arizona, Lamar Alexander of Tennessee, Shelley Moore Capito of West Virginia, Dean Heller of Nevada, and Rob Portman of Ohio. All but Collins voted for essentially the same bill in 2015. That means the other six Republicans flip-flopped and broke their promise to repeal Obamacare. Through the course of the day Thursday, there were several more votes on amendments and motions to commit, which is the minority's way of getting the bill off the floor and sending it back to committee for a rewrite. They all failed. One in particular was rather interesting, though, and warrants mention. Republican Senator Steve Daines of Montana offered an amendment to allow the Democrats to go on record with their views on a single-payer system. Essentially, he took a bill Democrat John Conyers had introduced in the House and offered it up as an amendment in the Senate. Democrats weren't biting. All but four of them, plus independent Anagus King of Maine, voted present. The other four, Joe Donnelly of Indiana, Heidi Heitkamp of North Dakota, Joe Manchin of West Virginia, and John Tester of Montana, all voted against it. Not surprisingly, all four of those Democrats who voted against socialized medicine are running for re-election next year in states that Donald Trump won by double digits. So the final tally was 0 to 57, with 43 Democrats voting present. Just after 6 p.m., the Senate took a break from Obamacare repeal and took up H.R. 3364, the House passed sanctions bill against North Korea, Iran, and Russia. That bill passed by a vote of 98 to 2. Then the Senate went back to Obamacare repeal. Minority Leader Chuck Schumer offered another motion to commit, but it failed by 43 to 57. An amendment offered by Senator Dean Heller was agreed to by a vote of 52 to 48, and then Budget Committee Ranking Member Patty Murray offered one last motion to commit, which failed by a vote of 48 to 52. 
The Senate leadership kept that vote open for an hour, not because they were worried about that vote, but because everyone knew what the next vote would be. It would be the vote on Leader McConnell's so-called skinny repeal bill, which he only revealed at 10 p.m. on Thursday night. The skinny bill repealed the individual mandate permanently, repealed the employer mandate for eight years, delayed the imposition of the medical device tax for three years, allowed increased contributions to health savings accounts for three years, and offered some increased waivers to states. It was meant to be the lowest common denominator, something that could generate 50 votes on the floor so the Senate could pass it and go to conference with the House. Earlier in the day, even though we hadn't yet seen the details of McConnell's skinny bill, Senator McCain had objected, saying its passage into law would be disastrous. He wanted guarantees it would never become law. At about 5 p.m., three Republican senators, Ron Johnson of Wisconsin, Lindsey Graham of South Carolina, and McCain, held a press conference where they demanded assurances from the Speaker of the House that he would not simply bring that bill to the floor and would instead go to conference with the Senate. Remember, the House always has two options for any bill that comes from the Senate. It can either go to conference with the Senate to work out the differences between the two chambers and come to agreement on what's called a conference report, which then goes back for consideration on the floor of both houses. Or it can simply take the bill the Senate sends it and put it on the floor of the House as is. And if it passes, it goes straight to the president for his signature. McCain was so concerned about how bad he thought the skinny repeal bill was going to be that he wanted, he wanted ironclad assurances that the bill, if passed by the Senate, would go to conference rather than straight to the floor of the House. At 7.30 p.m., the Speaker replied with a press conference, declaring, quote, if moving forward requires a conference committee, that is something the House is willing to do. The reality, however, is that repealing and replacing Obamacare still ultimately requires the Senate to produce 51 votes for an actual plan. The House remains committed to finding a solution and working with our Senate colleagues, but the burden remains on the Senate to demonstrate that it is capable of passing something that keeps our promise, as the House has already done, end quote. Note, all Speaker Ryan said in that, in that statement was that he was, quote, willing to go to conference. He did not promise McCain and other senators that he would not put the skinny repeal bill on the floor of the House. Ryan's thinking was probably simple. If the skinny bill is all that can pass the Senate, why waste time with a conference committee? Let's put whatever passes the Senate on the floor of the House, jam it through, send it to President Trump, and tee up tax reform. He figured nothing that would come out, that would come out of a conference committee would generate 50 votes on the Senate floor, or they would have already done it. That statement, not surprisingly, was not good enough for McCain. At 8.50 p.m., he put out a statement saying Ryan's statement was, quote, not sufficient, end quote. At 10 p.m., Leader McConnell officially released the text of the skinny bill. It was as bad as McCain feared, clearly nothing more than a placeholder, a vehicle to get to conference. At 11.25, the CBO released its official score of the bill. Since its various individual components had already been scored in earlier drafts, the CBO was able to quickly produce a score that projected the bill would cause 16 million people to lose their insurance over a decade. And CBO projected the premiums in the individual market would rise by 20% over that decade. At 1.25 a.m., the Senate began voting on McConnell Amendment Number 667, the skinny bill. As the roll call progressed, Collins and Murkowski cast their no votes, as everyone had anticipated they would. The rest of the Republican senators in the chamber cast their votes in favor. But McCain wasn't in the chamber when his name was called. He strolled in five minutes into the vote, got the clerk's attention, 
and gave a thumbs down sign indicating his opposition. The McConnell skinny bill failed by a vote of 49 to 51 with three Republicans, Susan Collins, Lisa Murkowski, and John McCain, John McCain crossing party lines to vote with the Democrats. And then they were done. This week on the Senate floor, the House, the Senate returns today with the first vote set for 5.30 p.m. That will be a vote to invoke closure on the nomination of Kenneth, I'm sorry, Kevin Christopher Newsom to serve as U.S. Circuit Court Judge for the 11th Circuit. Beyond that, I expect we'll see more action on confirmation votes and possibly floor action on the National Defense Authorization Act, though I wouldn't hold my breath on that one. On the appointments and confirmations front last week, on Wednesday, President Trump nominated Kansas Governor Sam Brownback to serve as U.S. Ambassador at Large for International Religious Freedom. On the defense front, also on Wednesday of last week, to help House Republican leaders finesse their way out of a problem on the defense appropriations bill, President Trump tweeted the news that by his direction, the U.S. military would ban transgendered people from any U.S. military service. Quote, after consultation with my generals and military experts, please be advised that the United States government will not accept or allow transgender individuals to serve in any capacity in the U.S. military, read the tweet. Quote, our military must be focused on decisive and overwhelming military victory and cannot be burdened with the tremendous medical costs and disruption that transgender in the military would entail. Thank you, read the president's second quote. So, what does this have to do with helping House Republican leaders on the defense appropriations bill? You'll recall that a few weeks ago, when the National Defense Authorization Act was on the House floor, U.S. Representative Vicki Hartzler of Missouri offered an amendment to overturn the military's current policy accepting transgenders for service, including paying for the pre- and post-operative medical care. That amendment was defeated when 24 moderate Republicans crossed party lines to vote with Democrats against it. So conservatives in the House Republican Conference told the House Republican leadership in anticipation of this week's vote on the defense appropriations bill that they wanted another bite at the apple. House Republican leaders were stuck. They had just held a floor vote on the issue a few weeks earlier, and they didn't want to set a precedent that floor votes don't matter because they can always be held again if they don't turn out the way you want. But they also knew without, that without the votes of the conservatives, they couldn't pass the security minibus. President Trump very much wanted to see the security minibus pass because it included $1.6 billion in funding for his proposed border wall, and he didn't want House Republicans stuck spinning their wheels on this one. So Trump rode to their rescue. By issuing his tweets, he removed the issue as a live concern and allowed the security minibus to move forward. One day later, Marine General Joseph Dunford, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, issued a statement saying nothing would change until he received direction from the Secretary of Defense. <coughs> On the Justice Department front, the president continued his campaign of criticizing Attorney General Jeff Sessions last week, referring to him as weak for not prosecuting leakers or going after Hillary Clinton. Conservatives and Republican senators stood by the attorney general, with several, including Senate Judiciary Committee Chairman Charles Grassley of Iowa, saying publicly that if Sessions were to be fired and Trump were to nominate a new attorney general, there would be no space on the calendar for a confirmation hearing. The attorney general gave an interview on Wednesday to Tucker Carlson of Fox News from El Salvador, where he allowed us how the president's remarks were kind of hurtful, but he said he was not going to resign. On the Obamacare front, despite Senate Republicans' failure to move Obamacare repeal through the Senate last week, all is not lost. The reconciliation vehicle is still alive because all those votes that you read about last week were votes on amendments. 
So the bill is still on the legislative calendar and can be called up at any time the majority leader wants, which presumably he won't do until he's convinced he's got a piece of legislation that brings at least 50 votes with it. The president, according to his Twitter feed, is still committed. He met with three Republican senators on Friday to discuss options for moving forward and spoke with House Freedom Caucus Chairman Mark Meadows to see what could be done to build support among conservatives in the House. And on Saturday, the president tweeted about the possibility of ending the illegal congressional special exemption from Obamacare. Tweeted he, quote, if a new health care bill is not approved quickly, bailouts for insurance companies and bailouts for members of Congress will end very soon, exclamation point, end quote. We're told by those in the know that there's a serious discussion going on inside the White House right now over the possibility of raising the temperature on Congress by ending the special exemption for Congress. We are in it up to our eyeballs. So we'll keep our fingers crossed and our eyes peeled and let you know what we know when we know it. On the Russia probe, last Monday, speaking to reporters at the White House following his appearance behind closed doors before the staff of the Senate Intelligence Committee, Trump's son-in-law and advisor Jared Kushner said he did not collude with any Russian to interfere with last year's election and rejected any suggestion Moscow was responsible for President Trump's victory. Quote, I did not collude with Russia, nor do I know of anyone else on the campaign who did so, end quote, he said in the most declarative tone he could muster. He spoke Tuesday, also in private, with the House Intelligence Committee. Before appearing before the Senate Intelligence Committee, he publicly released an 11-page statement that you'll find in this week's suggested reading. In the statement, he explained the so-called back-channel story, where the Washington Post reported breathlessly a few months ago that Kushner had asked Russian Ambassador Sergei Kislyak during the transition if Kislyak could set up a secure communications channel to Moscow so the Trump transition team could engage in secret conversations with Moscow without having to worry about U.S. intelligence agencies surveilling them. According to Kushner's statement, during a meeting with Kislyak, the Russian ambassador said that Russian dictator Vladimir Putin wanted some Russian generals to have a discussion with appropriate Trump transition officials about the situation in Syria. Kislyak asked Kushner if Kushner had access to a secure, a secure communications channel at the transition team offices. Kushner said he did not. Then he turned around the question and asked Kislyak if it would be all right to use the secure communications facilities at the Russian embassy. Kislyak declined, and the two agreed that the conversation would have to wait until after the inauguration. As for the now famous meeting with Russian lawyer Natalia Vazelnitskaya, Kushner said he had no idea what the meeting was about or whom it was with when he walked into it a few minutes late. Within a few moments, he realized it was a waste of his time, and he said he emailed his assistant to ask the assistant to call him on his cell because he needed an excuse to get out of the meeting. He said he never read the full email thread that identified the purpose of the meeting and said the meeting had been entered on his calendar as a meeting between him and Donald Trump Jr., the news media and the Democrats were surprisingly silent through the course of the week following Kushner's statement. On the Russia sanctions front, the House passed H.R. 3364, the joint Russian-Iran-North Korea sanctions bill, on Tuesday, and the Senate passed it on Thursday. It now goes to the president's desk for his signature. On Sunday, in anticipation of the signing of this new sanctions regime, Russian dictator Vladimir Putin announced the expulsion of 755 American diplomats. In addition to the U.S. Embassy in Moscow, the United States maintains consulates in St. Petersburg, Vladivostok, and Yekaterinburg. 
though we don't know for don't we though we don't know for sure exactly how big the US presence is the state department won't comment on that number putin said he believes current us staff in the, in russia now exceeds 1000 people on the spending front last thursday the house passed hr 3219 the make america secure appropriations act of 2018 the so called security minibus the bill appropriates $827 billion for fiscal year 2018 spending for four appropriations bills, defense, ledge branch operations, energy and water development, and military construction and veterans affairs. You'll recall that when we discussed last week how Republican leaders in the House would add the $1.6 billion in funding for the wall, I said one of their options was a self-executing rule in which the rule for floor consideration contains the border wall funding provision. That's the option they chose, so there was no separate standalone vote on the border wall funding provision. In other spending, the bill includes a $68 billion funding increase for the Pentagon, a $3.98 billion increase for the Department of Veterans Affairs, and a $29 million increase for the Capitol Police in the wake of the shooting at the Alexandria, Virginia baseball diamond back in June. Finally, on the White House front, a week ago last Friday, Sean Spicer was White House press secretary and Reince Priebus was White House chief of staff. A week ago Friday, Spicer resigned after learning that Wall Street financier Anthony Scaramucci would be joining the West Wing as the new communications director. On Wednesday evening of last week, Scaramucci had an on-the-record conversation with reporter Ryan Lizza of the New Yorker magazine. The result was the publication of an article Thursday that had the kind of language that would make New Jerseyans blush as Scaramucci talked about his new colleagues, Reince Priebus and Steve Bannon. You'll find a link to the article in the suggested reading. That night, Priebus offered his resignation to President Trump, and Trump accepted. Priebus's resignation was announced late Friday afternoon following President Trump's tweet introducing his new White House Chief of Staff, current Secretary of Homeland Security, retired Marine General John Kelly. Kelly takes over as Chief of Staff today. And that's our Washington Report for this week.